0: Nice. and i'm linnea and i'm incredibly tired today oh no why <laughs> because i actually went out it's for a good reason I was like the, the first time what did time... you do well eric has some friends in town and so they all went to the local and so i was oh, at fine. the local it's been so long since i was out past midnight yeah i'm such an old woman yeah we were there well, also we... covid but yeah with the third wave ending and And, like, vaccines coming back. It just felt like everybody wanted to do everything all the time. Yeah. And so, but that just meant, like, going on, like, weekend trips somewhere, going camping, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, it's just been a long time since I went out. And I was like, okay, time to go home. It's like, it's 1130. We're going to be good. And Eric was like, it's one in the morning. I was (laughs) like, oh. (laughs) Uh -oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. If you're ever in Halifax, the local... It actually has cheap beer. It's we like, love the local. It's a great bar. And it is the only bar with jet, like you can actually get a like a pint for less than four dollars. Which is Yeah. Oh yeah. It's insane. Unreal. Our bill, we had a pitcher and two pints, like over the course of the evening. That was the other thing. It was like I didn't even drink that much and I woke up this morning and I felt hung over. <laughs> I was just like, I didn't drink that very much. Anyways, but yeah, it was like our total bill was like twenty dollars.
1: Yeah, it's It's always a nice, like, end of the
0: evening at the local. Thank you, local. (laughs) Because, you know, we had to drink to forget that we now live in a police state, which is fun. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Halifax had a tumultuous week of removing homeless people from. Yeah. I mean, the
1: world in general had a tumultuous week. Like, no news was was fun like there was no good news this week um everybody we, wanted to have a
0: boring week and the world was it like it didn't not, happen not today
1: yeah we uh, like from the lowest scale like from the lowest from the lowest inconvenience of my week which on another week might be like the highlight of our podcast. Was that we had a massive power outage at my work and had to send home the like 65 day campers that were there. And it was like a widespread power outage over the town and we couldn't keep them there because our washrooms no longer worked. Wait. And so we had to call all their parents and send them home. Why? Was it weather? Um, A transformer blew and it took a, like half the town's power, but the other half was fine. So like half the parents were like, oh yeah, we're in darkness. And the other half were like, what are you talking about? Like, what's wrong with your facility? And I'm like, it's not us. But anyway, it was it's not me. We have a pool and a rink and those things sound fun until the power goes out. And then you have a pool where the rink should be. And you have <laughs> a pool that hasn't had running water. So which means that the whole thing has to be drained anyway. You have a so, but pool. that was like the lowest piece of interesting and not good news this week. Because, yeah, Halifax. I think... It's safe to say that Canada in general is in the middle of a housing crisis. I Mm -hmm. I don't think it's just specific to Nova Scotia. I know I have friends past New Brunswick and Ontario and Quebec who are feeling the same kind of strain. But uh, we just had an election here in Nova Scotia. And instead of uh, the people running for the election doing anything about... The homelessness instead of our premier at the time doing anything with the homelessness he just didn't do anything well the election was going on and then the day the election ended the next day they start going policing homelessness fairly aggressively in my yeah. humble opinion yeah so like my mho mho <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't know what i'm talking about but in my opinion yeah no um, it, was, it wasn't
1: cool well it was just like
0: shitty because So the party that won is the PC party, yeah. which whatever, whatever your opinions, I'm not going to state beliefs on that. However, they won a landslide majority with only 2%. They only had the popular vote by 2%. Yeah. And they won by like 14 seats, which is crazy for Nova Scotia. Yeah. Um, And then the very next day, so apparently journalists were saying that the police had kind of intended to do it on this day because they figured journalists would be more interested in talking about the election, and so there would be less news coverage of them... What the fuck? ...kicking people out of tents and then giving people, like, $300 tickets... Yeah. And it's like, they're living in a tent. You think they can afford a $300 ticket?
1: Yeah. So I had a couple friends who were there, but I do have one very good friend who I've spoken to, and he is a journalist. He was kind of brought on to the scene the day of and the day after, and he's been doing a lot of, like, kind of coverage on on this. And, and what I've heard from all of those people, because, like, I wasn't there, was that, you know the police started to clear out the the homeless um kind of like camps these were not cities like these were like half a dozen tents on an area of grass like yeah
0: they were like scattered throughout the city in a yeah, couple so of different public parks and it was yeah. like groupings like i think of most was probably like 20 tents and
1: i and that would be like large that's one yeah. of the larger groups and so basically what started happening is that the police very early in the morning started going and you know asking people to leave as this started to happen throughout the city more and more people started to hear and so as the day progressed once the police the halifax regional police got to the spring garden road location um there was a group of protesters and so then uh halifax police in my as i said in my opinion (laughs) And I'm not laughing because I think it's funny. I'm laughing just because it's such uh, it's uh, I want to say an absurd situation. But yeah, but I I don't have another word for it. Um, And the Halifax police, yeah, there was pepper spray and uh, force and um, no one had their nameplates on. And it was just very uh, yeah, it was a it became a very aggressive scene. From what I from what I've read and from people I've talked to who were who were witness to it, uh, but then I did watch. My God, what a waste of time! I did watch the Halifax Regional Police's uh, statement the following day oh, or two so days funny. later.
0: It was so funny.
1: What a tool bag!
0: <laughs> I heard it on the radio and it was oh. like they were basically like, "Yeah, those protesters showed up knowing that we would pepper spray them. That's why they had like so like." protesters were carrying around like gallons of milk. Yeah. Um and I'm like, do do you think that's because they expect police to pepper spray them for peaceful protesting? Like isn't that more of a like negative on you that they're like assuming that you guys are going to use force at some point?
1: Basically, it was like, well, they had jugs of milk, so they knew we were going to pepper spray them, so we did, so they could use their milk. <laughs> Like you don't want that milk to expire. It was they a were, hot day. They're like we were doing them a service because of the milk. I was like, oh, this is so stupid. And the guy talking wasn't there. Like the Halifax Regional Police Chief wasn't at any of the protests or anything. No, yeah. And, and so every time he'd be like, um, I don't know why I wasn't there. Hang on, and then he'd call up some random cop who was just like. Oh uh, well, um, it was like this, and I don't, I don't know. It was a lot of people, and then he'd like go stumble down the stairs, and then he'd be like, "So there to answer your questions." Yeah, and like every reporter, he was like, "Wow!" Like literally, he was like, "Wow, thank you so much for your great question, insert name here," and then he was like. The Halifax Regional Police believe we did nothing wrong, and <laughs> da, da da da, and then he talked about how two police officers, and I'm sure everybody's heard this, but he went on and on about how these two police officers were injured. One got pepper sprayed by HRP, and one got hit by another officer in their car. It's like no officers were
0: hurt by protesters. No.
1: It's so um, funny. It's just a real shitty news circuit right now. It's kind of a dumpster <laughs> fire. If
0: you yeah. Mean. So I'm gonna keep the mood low, uh, oh. with the Heritage Minute that we're going to be doing this week. Excellent,
1: <laughs> but I think you'll be excited. So uh, okay, <laughs> this week it's gonna be depressing. You'll be super pumped.
0: <laughs> this week I decided to do uh, the Underground Railroad Heritage oh, Minute. Yeah, it's a great yeah. one. Oh, it is. It's but sad. It's sad. I mean, in in concept, of course. They reach freedom. Basically, if you don't know what the Underground Railroad was, it was a network that got uh, escaping slaves to British North America where slavery had been abolished in the 1830s. So they were able to find some level of freedom once they came to the north. And not all of them ended up in Canada. A lot of them just go to northern states, and that all kind of changes over time depending on what laws are in certain areas. The Heritage Minute itself was always really stood out because it's very dramatic.
1: It is very... It's the first one that I honestly felt like it was very, very drama-filled, and it seemed like um, that was the whole point of it. The point mm. of the the point of the Heritage Minute was to be like, this is a really crazy dramatic moment in Canadian history, and <laughs> Pa almost didn't make it. And pa almost
0: didn't make it.
1: Yeah, that's one of the iconic lines is that, anyway, there's... I. I know you'll get into this but for those who haven't watched it there's like a father and i think it's his children i don't think she's his wife
0: no i think it's his two adult children that's the dynamic i was always given was it's their dad
1: i thought it was their dad um anyway so they're coming in the the daughter is very concerned that her father is not going to make it and so like her iconic line in the liza is her name in Mm. the the minute is that, and I only know that because the white Canadian is like, Liza, it's okay. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but anyway, Liza's like, Pa ain't gonna make it. And then she starts running through the town trying to find Pa. And then everything, they find okay. him. They, they find him. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler, they find him. <laughs>
0: they yeah. They find him. It's basically like t- two escaped slaves have arrived in some station house with The woman who is overseeing this leg of the Underground Railroad, which is Canada, like this is the end point. And the daughter, Liza, is very convinced that their father is not going to arrive. And so she starts like screaming and she's like running through the streets. And then eventually they see the caravan showing up with, I think they ship them in in like furniture or like, I can't remember if they were coffins. But he's like hidden in something. Was
1: Well, he was under the, um, it's like a false bottom to oh, whatever it okay. was. So I don't yeah. know if it mattered specifically what they were transporting, but he was in like a false bottom with a bunch of hay.
0: Yeah. And then they get him out and he's like, We've, we're safe. We arrived in Canada. I have some gripes with it. Okay. <laughs> though I will say one of my gripes has recently been revised so my two issues with oh. it were always the first which I think still stands is that it is very much like a white lady saving the oh, day yeah. because it's like Liza who's somehow managed to go the entire length of the Underground Railroad but didn't learn that like being quiet was important yeah it's just like <laughs> okay and then it's just this lady this white lady who's like Liza everything's gonna be okay and she like runs out into the streets after Liza and like gets her and brings her back to the house I guess by that that point they're in Canada so it's not like they're gonna be re-enslaved
1: even though she's out in the
0: street but it's like irrational black lady and very calm understated white lady
1: lady dynamic and I would also think that it's I will actually I, I know that in a lot of places it was still illegal even in Canada to harbor slaves
0: yeah, like I'm sure that you could yeah, I don't know what it would be once you're crossing the border. In northern states, it's very illegal to yeah. like help with the Underground Railroad. I don't yeah, know what it's so. like once you're in Canada, but still, yeah. Not a great look, I'm sure. No, that always to bothered me too. And then the other one is kind of like her iconic line, which is like pie go make it. Yeah. In a very specific accent. Um, however, my opinions on it have kind of changed, and they've changed because I was talking to Sean and Larice, and one of their guests, oh, yeah. the host of the Loyalist podcast, and so they had someone on, and he was saying that one of his, his big issues with a lot of historical dramatizations of slavery or freed slaves and the Underground Railroad is that they tend to think it's woke to make slaves or former slaves speak proper English like everybody else. Sure. Like, and sometimes those people wouldn't even speak English. They would speak, like, Creole languages or Pidgin English.
1: It's their second language. Like, it's not supposed to be perfect. And so I
0: think when I always, like, looked at that Heritage Minute, I always thought I was like, oh, that's kind of, like, it's kind of weird that they're making her talk like that. But, I mean, I don't know if that's an accurate representation (sighs) of how they would speak, but it is accurate to have her saying and speaking things differently than the other white people around so that was always one of my gripes with it but I've kind of come around on it and I'm like it passes we don't have to cancel the Underground Railroad Heritage Minute
1: (laughs) I will say that I don't and I I don't know because I wasn't in the room but I would um, assume that that wasn't the intention of Historic Canada when they made the minute but in today's climate um, I, I think that it like it works but I think that it probably it was probably like oh let's get the black lady to talk like that like
0: (laughs) yeah it's a very like if you haven't seen it it's very like mammy accent almost like if you think like gone with the wind I don't know if that's accurate maybe it is maybe that is the way that Liza would talk but do you want to get into it do you want to like learn all about the Underground Railroad with me. Yeah,
1: I'm gonna just, like, go it on a limb and say that we aren't talking about Liza and Pa and whoever that other guy is, because I'm assuming that that's kind of, like, a fabrication of just a million different families who came across.
0: Yeah, I didn't see anything that was like Liza as a real person. We're gonna revisit an important part of Canadian history that often gets super romanticized, because... It's a it's a great way for Canada to be like, yeah, we we took in the slaves that the United States were abusing. But Canada is not a country with no history of slavery. The historian Marcel Trudel estimates that there were fewer than 4,200 slaves in the area of Canada or New France and then later the Canada. So upper and lower Canada between 1671 and 1831. Around two-thirds of these slaves were indigenous people, and they would have typically been called Pani, which was like the French interpretation of the word Pawnee, who are a specific group of indigenous people, and one-third would have been of African descent. Okay. They were usually house servants or farm workers, and the number of black slaves increased during British rule, especially with the arrival of the United Empire Loyalists after 1783. So then you have loyalists showing up who are like, "I'm really used to owning slaves. Can I bring them with me?" And they're Please. like, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Like, oh, we can make those accommodations."
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like you're type you're sending like, uh, like notes to your Airbnb. Yeah, and if it's like, is it okay if I bring my slave with me? And they're like, "We can certainly accommodate that." Yes. Yeah,
1: it's like it just like it's not really gonna work for me if I can't bring them.
0: Okay. They're like family, except they're not. <laughs>
1: oh
0: (laughs) so the maritimes saw 1200 to 2000 slaves arrive prior to abolition and then there were about 300 accounted in lower canada and then between 500 and 700 in upper canada a small portion of black canadians today are descended from these slaves People of African descent were forcibly captured by local chiefs as cattle slaves and sold to traders bound for the southern areas of the Americas. Those in what is now called Canada typically came from the American colonies, as no shipholders of human chattel were sent to Canada directly from Africa. So the boats that arrive full of slaves, I'm sure you've seen the very, like, graphic, like, diagrams of how slaves would be put on ships those ships never came to canada um so they would like stop in the u.s first and then sometimes wind up in canada
1: for those of you who haven't seen the very detailed diagrams like i know exactly what you're talking about like i have i I i was very lucky like my grade four teacher was super woke at least for like 2004 um she was like just a very woke lady like wanted us to learn about the important real stuff and even though mm. it was heavy for a group of grade fours like she knew it was important ms king margie we did like i, I would say half of our curriculum was based around um black heritage and black history that's um, cool in canada and beyond it was she was really passionate about it we went to the black cultural center in halifax as our school tr- as our class trip
0: i mean it just goes to show like kids at that age can handle it Mm -hmm. like I think that's one of the biggest arguments people have for not putting that stuff in curriculum is that they think that it'll be too upsetting for them to learn about that stuff and it's like it's actually probably easier the sooner you do that
1: oh yeah I, I think that's true for anything I think the younger you expose kids to and I'm not saying like you know, expose kids to trauma. Like, that's not okay.
0: Traumatize your kids. Yeah. <laughs> the Minute but- Women podcast <laughs> is traumatizing your children.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think that's good. but But I do think it's important to not shelter your kids too much. Don't shelter your kids. <laughs> but don't traumatize them either. It's a very fine line. <laughs> so... There were no
0: large plantations in Canada and therefore no need for a large slave workforce uh, of the sort that existed in other European colonies in the Americas. Nevertheless, slaves in Canada were subjected to the same physical, psychological, and sexual violence as punishments um, th- that were the same as their American counterparts. So just because it's not plantation slavery doesn't mean it's not like...
1: Doesn't mean it's not horrific or traumatic.
0: Yeah. Britain banned the institution of slavery in present-day Canada and British colonies in 1833, though the practice of slavery in Canada had effectively ended already in the early 19th century through case law due to court decisions resulting from litigation on behalf of enslaved people seeking uh, manumission. Okay. The courts, to varying degrees, rendered slavery unenforceable in both lower canada and nova scotia in lower canada for example after court decisions in the late 1790s the slave could not be compelled to serve longer than he would and might leave his master at will so that basically means at that point they're not slaves but it's still legal to have people and not pay them for their work (laughs) but they just they just have to be it's just like volunteerism (laughs) Like, volunteerism is okay, but slavery is not. So,
1: when Canada says they're really big on volunteering, this is where it all started. (laughs) This is where it
0: started. The Volunteerism Act. (laughs) Upper Canada passed the Act Against Slavery in 1793, one of the earliest anti-slavery acts in the world. Because Canada's role in the transatlantic slave trade was comparatively limited, the history of black slavery in Canada is often overshadowed by the more tumultuous slavery practiced elsewhere in the Americas, with modern human trafficking, especially in regard to indigenous women, becoming the significant legal and political issue in Canadian society. so that's right we still kind of have slavery happening right now and no one's doing anything about it yay
1: yay that's i
0: really don't love that for us if you want to know more actually you should go listen to the thunder bay podcast yes Um, so he interviews a woman who was from thunder bay she's an indigenous woman and she was brought on this ship and she basically was just human trafficked for years And she was just, like, at one point just decided, like, I just can't get back on the boat. Like, the next port that we stop at, I just have to get off and never get back on the boat. And just get off with, like, no money. Yeah. Like, no way of getting back home.
1: Listen to the Thunder Bay podcast. It's a great podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes because Grace um, recommended the show. And it is excellent.
0: I highly recommend. And, yeah, so if, like, human trafficking and stuff is something that you do want to learn about, which I highly recommend you do, That's a great resource for that. As slavery in the United States continued until 1863, people, free and enslaved, began immigrating to Canada from the United States after the American Revolution and then again after the War of 1812, many by way of the Underground Railroad. So the Underground Railroad was a secret network of white and black abolitionists, people who wanted to abolish slavery. They helped African Americans escape from enslavement in the American South to free northern states or to Canada. The Underground Railroad was the largest anti-slavery freedom movement in North America, and it brought between 30,000 and 40,000 fugitives to British North America, which is now Canada. That's something that I didn't realize, just like how many people came on the Underground Railroad. Like, to me, I guess I always thought it was... Like, it'd be like a couple thousand. A
1: couple thousand, yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's like 40,000 people. So, earlier, I mentioned uh, the 1793 Act to Limit Slavery. It stated that any enslaved person who reached Upper Canada became free upon arrival. This encouraged a small number of enslaved African Americans to search for freedom to enter Canada, primarily without help. So, in these early days... There's no system or, or like, network to help these people escape. They're just, like, trying on their own, which is insane. Like,
1: and it's a long fucking way. A lot of people who maybe don't live in Canada, and I'm sorry to our neighboring friends in the United States.
0: Shout out to that 1% of listeners in Romania.
1: (laughs) yeah okay so for our one percent of romanian listeners we're talking to you canada it's not like being in europe where you can just hop across borders like where we live where grace and i live in nova scotia like it's at least five hours to get into the states and that's by car like yeah which hadn't been invented yet yeah which which shocker um (laughs) all these people were talking about our dead and uh the car hadn't been invented so uh it was quite a journey quite a hike
0: yeah i mean like on foot going to a place you've never been before so like i I just like the the ability for people to navigate without a map like people probably didn't know how to read it's really impressive that people were able to escape entirely by themselves Word that freedom could be had in Canada spread further following the War of 1812. The enslaved servants of U.S. officers from the South brought back word that there were free black men in red coats in British North America. Oh, so. Okay. There were slaves traveling to Canada because their officers brought them and then they go to Canada and they see that there's actually black people who are free and then they go back to the south with their owners and they tell all the other slaves, like, did you guys know that there are free black people in Canada?
1: Did you know?
0: Did no one tell me? (laughs) Why are you keeping this a secret? (laughs) So the Underground Railroad was created in the early 19th century by a group of abolitionists initially based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So within a few decades, it had grown into a well-organized and dynamic network. The term Underground Railroad began being used in the 1830s, by then an informal covert network to help fugitive slaves had already taken shape. At its peak, nearly 1,000 enslaved people per year escaped from slaveholding states using the Underground Railroad, and more than 5,000 court cases for escaped slaves were recorded. Wow. This is many fewer than the natural increase of ensla- the enslaved population. Um, so, in other words, more slaves are being born than those that are able to escape, but it is still an amazing accomplishment.
1: It's still progress. Yeah. yeah.
0: The resulting economic impact of slaves escaping was minuscule. So the fact that slaves are running away and finding freedom really isn't impacting the cotton industry or the tobacco industry or any of the industries that slaves work on plantations for. Uh, However, the psychological influence on slaveholders was very evident. So like slaveholders are extremely worried by the fact that Slaves are able to successfully escape, and then they <laughs> see examples of like uh, basically right. they're perpetually terrified of a slave revolt. You know, you can have violent slave revolts that overthrow the masters and like kill them and whatever. So, yeah. under the original Fugitive Slave Act of 1793, officials from free states were required to assist slaveholders or their agents uh, who re- recaptured fugitives, but citizens and governments of many of these free states ignored the laws. So initially, the Fugitive Slave Act says that, you know, if I go to New York and I'm looking for a slave that escaped, you guys have to help me find it and then I can take the slave home. Not me personally. I'm not a slaveholder.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, not like a, it's like a human being or anything.
0: But most people ignore it. Like there isn't, like it's a law, but everybody ignores it, like jaywalking. Um,
1: <laughs> Just like that. It's the exact same.
0: <laughs> Just jaywalking to freedom. <laughs>
1: with With heavy
0: lobbying by southern politicians the compromise of 1850 was signed uh and it passed after the mexican-american war
1: as if there's a bill called the compromise the compromise Compromise of 1850 can we
0: all just compromise (laughs) on my ability to own people can we just reach a compromise that's all i'm asking
1: can you just you don't need to help me but it's got to be all right for me to own this family because they're like my family except they do everything for me and I do nothing for them. It's just like you and your mother.
0: I may just be a country lawyer, but I think <laughs> this man knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Can't we all just get along and have some biscuits and sweet tea? Nothing, uh, nothing against Matthew McConaughey, but like that accent owned slaves. <coughs> <laughs> That accent drives a lincoln and was opposed to lincoln getting elected
1: you know what i like about keeping slaves <laughs> i just keep getting older and they stay the same age
0: <laughs> oh, oh god that's fucking oh. dark <laughs> oh so in the compromise the ultimate compromise it made the fugitive slave act enforced more strictly So, ostensibly, the Compromise addressed regional problems by compelling officials of free states to assist slave catchers, granting them immunity to operate in free states. So, basically, you you can just go in and, like, roam around like a bounty hunter and, like, get whoever you want. Okay. Because the law required sparse documentation to claim a person as a fugitive, slave catchers also kidnapped free blacks, uh, especially their children, and sold them into slavery
1: the fuck do you have no morals
0: yeah you just say like 20 slaves escaped but only like two escaped and then you could just go into places and be like look i found these 18 black children in the woods they're now slaves oh southern politicians often exaggerated the number of escaped slaves and they often blamed the escapes on northerners interfering with southern property rights (laughs) it's just like nothing's changed
1: (laughs) it's all still the same
0: (laughs) The law deprived people suspected of being slaves the right to defend themselves in court, making it difficult to prove free status. Cause it's hard to prove anything when you're not allowed to talk.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: you just yeah. have to sit there, and people are like, "Are you a slave?" And then you can't say anything, and they're like, "I think you're a slave." Yeah, it's and then like they take the you.
1: friggin' Salem witch trials. Oh, are you a witch? We don't know. We're going to burn you at the stake and see if you live. Oh, dead. Not a witch. Whoops.
0: Yeah, the only way for us to determine if you actually (laughs) are a slave is to enslave you and make you work on a plantation for 10 years. And then after 10 years, we will assess if you actually were a slave. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the, the compromise had basically this de facto bribe written into it, whereby judges, if they ruled a captured black person was a slave, they would get paid $10. And if they ruled that they were actually free, they would only get paid $5. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you can possibly justify that. Many Northerners who might have ignored enslavement issues in the South were confronted by local challenges that bound them to support slavery. This was a primary grievance cited by the Union during the American Civil War, and the perception that northern states ignored the fugitive slave laws and regulations was a major justification for secession. All of this demonstrated the imperative for the Underground Railroad to remain quiet and secret. The Underground Railroad was not an actual railroad, if people didn't know. yeah, There's no trains. Well, sometimes there's trains, but it's not a railroad. It was a complex, clandestine network of people and safe houses that helped persons enslaved by southern plantations reach freedom in the north. The network was maintained by abolitionists who were committed to human rights and equality. They offered help to freeing slaves. Their ranks are among the most diverse and inclusive as well. So the Underground Railroad included free blacks, fellow enslaved persons, white and indigenous sympathizers, Quakers, Methodists baptists inhabitants of urban areas and also rural areas women and men americans and canadians
1: them good old quakers mormons and baptists
0: no no mormons methodists
1: oh methodists okay that makes more sense
0: slavery (laughs) i've decided i don't know if that's true or not
1: quakers methodists and baptists that actually makes more sense
0: every safe house you just get oatmeal
1: And the Baptists are just like, but can you play the guitar?
0: While the Underground Railroad was not an actual railroad, they did use railroad language and symbols. Railroad terminology and symbols were used to mask the covert activities of the network. No
1: one ever said they weren't clever.
0: This also helped to keep the public and slaveholders in the dark. Those who helped escaping slaves in their journey were called conductors, They guided fugitives along points of the Underground Railroad using various modes of transportation over land and by water. So one of the most famous conductors is Harriet Tubman. Yeah, she is. Who's formally going to be on the $20 bill. I don't know if that's going to be reinstated.
1: I just want to say that it's also funny because you're like various modes of transportation. (laughs) And it's like um, horse, donkey, (laughs) boat,
0: wagon. (laughs)
1: <laughs> wagon what other are those wagon things called? what are those things called that you carry a rickshaw <laughs> oh, a rickshaw i thought you were thinking
0: um they like carry like egyptian em- like <laughs> pharaohs on what are those called no.
1: i know exactly what you mean but i don't know the name but uh, no i was thinking more rickshaw like you know wheels yeah. on a basket
0: <laughs> except it's like the slaves have to run the rickshaw this <laughs> is really mean
1: this is really mean
0: Harriet Tubman's just on the back. is like, go faster,
1: <laughs> faster, faster.
0: <laughs> so terms like passengers, cargo, package, and freight refer to escaped slaves. Passengers were delivered to stations or depots, which were the safe houses. So in the yeah. heritage minute, the house that they're in, that is a station or a depot. Yeah. Stations were located in various cities and towns. Um, and the towns are called Terminals. These places of temporary refuge could sometimes be identified by lit candles in windows or by strategically placed lanterns in the front yards. Mm. Safe houses were operated by station masters. So, lady who solves racism in the Heritage Minute, she is yeah. a station master. Yeah, she is. They took, ref- they took fugitives into their home and provided meals and a change of clothing and a place for them to rest and hide. They often gave them money before sending them off to their next point. Yeah, Black abolitionist William Still was in charge of the station in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He assisted many freedom seekers in their journey to Canada, and he recorded the names of all the men, women, and children who stopped at his station, including Harriet Tubman. So oh, that's crazy. It's like that's such a cool like document. Like, give me
1: chills. Mm. Um, another, another cool way or method that was used on the Underground Railroad that I know about just because I did, uh, I did a, I guess like a project on it, but, um, it is about the kind of the quilts. Um, and and like, have you, have you read anything about that? No so there was like a quilt code that was kind of like if you think of like sales and like kind of the sailing letters um so there were specific quilts that people would hang out on their lines that meant like we have room for more um people or like we're full right now or or like um like we just got checked up on so this isn't a safe place right now things like that you're like trying to send a message and you're like i got a crochet like (laughs) But that's really cool. And I think it really
0: highlights the immense role that women played in the Underground Railroad because that's such a domestic art.
1: Oh, yeah. The men weren't making those.
0: (laughs) And like women would be in the home all the time. So you're probably like the woman of the house is going to be the one who encounters the slave first, probably, or former slaves. Another famous person in the Underground Railroad was Jermaine Logan. Uh, He was a black station master and leader of the abolitionist movement. He ran a station in Syracuse, New York, and he permanently settled there after having lived freely in Hamilton and St. Catharines in Upper Canada from 1837 to 1841. So he was like actually in Canada and he left that security and freedom to go back to the United States to help people escape. He was a well he was well known for his public speeches and articles on anti-slavery. Numerous women were also station masters, so like kind of like you brought up. yeah, Quaker women uh, like Lucretia Mott and Laura Haviland, uh, and then also Henrietta Boer's Uh She was the first black female undertaker in Philadelphia um and those are just to name a few many other women also worked with their husbands to operate stations so another role in the underground railroad are ticket agents so ticket agents coordinate safe trips and made travel arrangements for freedom seekers by helping them contact station masters or conductors Ticket agents were sometimes people who traveled for a living. So like circuit priests or doctors. This enabled them to conceal their abolitionist activities and justify why they were moving around so much. Uh, The Belleville-born doctor Alexander Milton Ross, for instance, was a underground railroad agent. He used his bird watching hobby to cover for why he was traveling through the South so much.
1: (laughs) He's like, I'm just looking for those yellow-tailed meganzers. He's like, what? I didn't hear you. <laughs> I'm looking for the birds. Shh. I'm looking for a budgie. <laughs>
0: it's like, oh, you scared them off. He even provided them with a few simple supplies to begin their escape. Uh, so the people that he would contact. People who donated money or supplies to aid uh, escaped slaves were called stockholders. Oh, The routes that were traveled to get to freedom were called lines. The network of routes went through 14 northern states and two British North American colonies, so upper and lower Canada. Um, At the end of the line was heaven or the promised land, which was free land in Canada or the northern states. The drinking gourd, uh, which I feel like is probably the thing that most people know about the, the Underground Railroad, that's what we would call the Big Dipper. It points to the North Star, and so that was a big way for slaves to know that they were going in the right direction the journey was very dangerous i don't know if we've really emphasized (laughs) that enough yet um many made the treacherous voyage by foot freedom seekers were also transported in wagons carriages on horses and in some case by train (laughs) but (laughs) not
1: but not rickshaw
0: (laughs) (laughs) rickshaw was not specified now but the underground railroad uh, did not only operate on land Passengers also traveled by boat across lakes, seas, and rivers, and they often traveled by night and then rested during the day. Uh, so as I mentioned, an estimated thirty to 40,000 freedom seekers entered Canada during the last decades of enslavement in the U.S. Between 1850 and 1860 alone, 15,000 to 20,000 fugitives reached the province of Canada. It became the main terminus of the Underground Railroad. And this is especially true after the Fugitive Slave Act meant that people could go into northern states and still operate with full legality yeah. because Canada was the only place where that wouldn't apply. The newcomers migrated to various parts of what is now Ontario. So, lots of places you've heard of Niagara Falls, Chatham, Buxom, Owen Sounds, Windsor, Sandwich, which is now part of Windsor, unfortunately. Sandwich, yeah. But I wish it kept its name. That's uh, a cute name. Hamilton, London, Bradford, uh, Oakville, Toronto. All these places are destinations for people on the Underground Railroad. They also fled to other regions of British North America, New Brunswick, Quebec, and Nova Scotia. After this mass migration, Black Canadians helped build strong communities and contributed to the development of the provinces in which they lived and worked. Although out of their jurisdiction, a few bounty hunters would cross the border into Canada to pursue escaped slaves and return them to their southern owners, the provincial Freeman newspaper offered a detailed account of one particular case. A slaveholder and his agent traveled to Chatham, Upper Canada, which was largely populated by black persons once enslaved in the U.S. They were in search of a young man named Joseph Alexander. After their presence was announced, a large crowd of black members of the community assembled outside the Royal Exchange Hotel. Alexander was among the throng of people and exchanged words with his former owner. He rejected the men's offer of $100 to accompany <laughs> them to Windsor.
1: It doesn't seem worth it.
0: That's a good that's a good call, Joseph.
1: Yeah. Do, don't
0: <laughs> trust the slaveholders. Yeah. Ever. The crowd refused to let the men seize Alexander, and they were forced to leave town. Alexander was left to live in freedom.
1: Hell yeah, Alexander. The Underground
0: Railroad operated until the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution banned enslavement in 1865. Freedom seekers, free blacks, and the descendants of black loyalists settled throughout British North America. Some lived in all-black settlements, such as Elgin Settlement and Buxom Mission, the Queen's Bush Settlement.
1: Sounds (laughs) lovely.
0: Great. (laughs) And the Dawn Settlement near Dresden, Ontario, as well as Birchtown and Africville in Nova Scotia. Others chose to live in racially integrated communities in towns and cities. Early African-Canadian settlers were productive and innovative citizens. They cleared and cultivated land, built homes, and raised families. Black persons established a range of religious, educational, social, and cultural institutions, political groups, and community-building organizations. They founded churches, schools, benevolent societies, fraternal organizations, and two newspapers.
1: Two! Not just one! Two newspapers! The Crosswords? Impeccable.
0: During the era of the Underground Railroad, black men and women possessed and contributed a wide range of skills and abilities. They operated various businesses such as grocery stores, boutiques, and hat shops, blacksmith shops, a saw company, an ice company, livery stables, pharmacies, herbal treatment services, carpentry businesses, as well as Toronto's first taxi company. Nice. We were produced, when I was producing an episode of Loyalist Connections, they were interviewing someone, and he was explaining how a sea shanty is actually, like, a slave tradition. Yeah. It's, it's like, it all comes from, like, sailors being, like, oh, like, slaves sing in the fields because it helps them like work and get through the day we should do the same thing Um, yeah and also a lot of sailors were black even though people think it's a very white profession
1: it's true i actually only know that because of the folk harbor festival in lunenburg i i like i remember one time when i was young and i'm a a jerk because i don't remember it was i think lenny gallant at, was doing like Stan Rogers sea shanties, mm. and was like, "Hey, but just so everybody knows," and like gave that kind of like cultural piece on like like where sea shant- sea shanties originated from and like how it came to be. And yeah. he did it more. He had more of a negative take. He was like, "Yeah, like on the boats when the slaves were there, they used to be like sing for me." And yeah, so like not maybe that's the
0: case. Like I'm as sure as it's as I'm sure it's a mix of both. Yeah, but yeah, it's also like. Do you think white people would have come up with something that was, like, that fun and cool? No. We never do. We just, you know, steal things from other people. Yeah, and make rules about it. Yeah. Black people were active in fighting for racial equality as well. Their communities were centers for abolitionist activities. Closer to home, they waged attacks against the prejudice and discrimination they encountered in their daily lives in Canada by finding gainful employment, securing housing, and obtaining an education for their children. Black persons were often rejected from certain jobs because of their skin color. Many were denied the right to live in certain areas due to their race, and parents had to send their children to segregated schools that existed in some parts of Ontario and Nova Scotia. Through publications, conventions, and other public events, such as Emancipation Day celebrations, Black communities spoke out against the racial discrimination they faced and aimed to improve society for all. Wherever African Canadians settled in British North America, they contributed to the socioeconomic growth of the communities in which they lived. In their quest for freedom, security, prosperity, and human rights, early Black colonists strived to make a better life for themselves, their descendants, and their fellow citizens. They left behind an enduring and rich legacy that is evident to this day. Yeah. And that's the story of the Underground Railroad, one of the greatest heritage minutes.
1: It's a, it's a good one. It's definitely one of the classic ones. I feel like that came out in the like rollout of 90s one.
0: I do kind of wish that they had chosen to focus on like a person. Yeah, and definitely. And then like made it about that. Like that Joseph Alexander story is super cool, and I want to know way more about it. Like, yeah, oh, a for whole sure. community rising up to be like, Yes, yeah, slave catchers, you're not welcome here. Yeah. And it's like not violent. They just like all like got together and they're like, Hey, see you later.
1: You got to go. <laughs> yeah, you got to go.
0: You're not welcome here. <laughs> I think it's probably the first African Canadian focused heritage minute. I'm totally talking out of. A- out of my ass when i say that but it's <laughs> the earliest one i remember other than like jackie robinson but that's more like sports you know this well, is like a heavier yeah topic and then you know since then it led the way to other african canadian heritage minutes like viola desmond and oscar peterson and hopefully we'll see more soon
1: well, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Minute Women podcast. We love being able to share these Canadian Heritage Minutes with you guys. And this is a good one. I This is one I've been waiting for, but kind of wasn't thinking about. When you said it was one that you knew I wanted <laughs> to do, I was like, ooh, what is it?
0: And if you haven't gotten enough of the Minute Women, make sure you check out our website, minutewomenpodcast.ca. You can find links to all of our social media, all of our past episodes. You can also find a link to our merch store. So if you want to help support the podcast, you can head over there and get yourself something nice. Treat yourself. Treat Um, yourself. And we release new episodes every Wednesday. So until next time, have a great week.
1: Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.